Sony. Hello, Canada. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. Today's date is April 24th, 2022, and this is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in beautiful, sunny BC. I can finally join you in that, Lewis. We, uh, I think spring has finally arrived here. It was plus 10 yesterday. The sun was shining. It was windy, but we're looking at double digits for the whole next week out here. So, uh, Excellent. I might actually be able to pull that classic out of the driveway finally. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. It's been, uh, we've had an unusually cold spring in BC, which I, I'm, from what I've seen is pretty much pretty common across the country. It's been pretty cold this spring everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, but here, I mean, it, it's really unusual out here. Um, I mean, we're, we've still, we've still getting nights below zero. We're, um, you know, the highs during the day were only in the single digits. Um, and, uh, but then yesterday we hit, uh, 17 degrees and, and we're supposed to be up to 20 degrees for the rest of the week. So oh, good. So now these uh, BC tree fruits and the, the like-minded companies can uh, get their orchards going. Fantastic. Yeah. All right, Canada. We have got one hell of a show for you today. Um, as we said last week, uh, politics may have stopped in the House of Commons, but it sure hasn't stopped across the country. Now, I just an update on. I was in when I interviewed the, the Conservative Party leadership candidate Joseph Burgo last week. I had thought that the deadline was coming up sooner than it was. It's actually the deadline for candidates to have their signatures in and to have their money in is this coming Friday, the 29th. I had thought for some reason it was the 19th, so my mistake on that one. So, um, And if you haven't listened to that interview yet, please do. Mr. Burgo is uh, hes really surprised the heck out of me. He's what they would call a fringe candidate because he's not part of the establishment, but... Uh, I like him a lot more now that I've talked to him. So I have to apologize for suggesting he, uh, you know, why was he in the race? I mean, he still has zero chance, but I'm glad he's in the race and I want him to stay on and get on the ballot. (laughs) You just answered your own question. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I, I, I have to admit, I, I was, uh, I was impressed by the interview. Um, he said a lot of things I agree with. Um, but, but, but but it goes without saying. I mean, why waste your time and money when Pierre Polyev is going to walk away with this? Yeah, and actually, that's what I want to see happen. But uh, I mean, he's going to win it on the first ballot. Yeah, it seems that way, and I I think I'd agree with that. So. Yeah. All right, Canada on the show today: Ukrainian refugees delayed by red tape. It's time for an inquiry into the Emergencies Act. Welcome to Amsterdam, Saskatchewan. The Ontario Liberals shooting blanks. CBC gaslighting again. And more. Where do you want to start, sir? Well, let's let's talk about the CBC trying to gaslight everybody. Um, it's a quick one, so let's just talk about that first. Sure. So uh, this morning, uh, 
on CBC News app, I got a I got a uh, an op-ed saying that Pierre Polyev is borrowing from Trudeau's uh, middle class campaign that he ran on in the 2015 election. And uh, at first, I I thought, oh come on. Really? You're trying to say that Pierre Polyev is stealing from Justin Trudeau? <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, the thought of that just makes me... <laughs> yeah. That's funny to me. So. Yeah. And, uh, and then the more I read it, the more I actually kind of agreed with it. Except it isn't the way that they're portraying it. They're portraying it as... Pierre Poiliev basically is seeing how successful Justin Trudeau is and is stealing his ideas, right? That isn't what is happening here because they say, oh, yeah, Pierre Poiliev is, is, uh, is talking about the middle class. Just like Justin Trudeau was talking about the, the middle class and those working hard to join it, if you remember that. Oh, God, all too well. Yeah, I mean, it is the most overused tagline <sighs> in Canadian political history. Yeah, it's, it was not uh, nauseous. Yeah, nauseous. Oh yeah, and how many times did he say it? I mean, it was like he would say it like in uh, multiple times in each each time he spoke. I mean, it was it was nauseating. Oh yeah, and uh, um. And then when I was reading it, I thought, yeah, actually, you know what? This editor, he's not wrong. But the thing is, is that any politician in this country who has any chance of winning an election is courting the middle class because it's the largest segment of the population. That's a good point. It's 80% of the population is middle class. So who wouldn't try to court the middle class? Everybody courts the middle class. And and Pierre Polyev, the difference between Pierre Polyev and Justin Trudeau is that Justin Trudeau, um, every single proposal he had for the middle class and those working hard to join it, we told you right away before they were ever implemented that they were going to hurt the middle class. That every proposal he had was no good. It wasn't going to help. It was going to hurt. And again, like always, we were right. And because that's all that's happened. Every single policy that Justin Trudeau had for the middle class and those working hard to join it has hurt the middle class and those working hard to join it. <laughs> those working hard to join it have never joined it. And uh, Pierre Poliev, I mean, it remains to be seen, but the proposals that I've seen from him so far are proposals that will do nothing but help the middle class and those looking, working hard to join it. <laughs> I love that you've used that line almost as much as Trudeau did in one speech. That's awesome. 
<laughs> almost almost yeah. but but i mean that's that's the difference is that you know Pierre Polyev's policies that I've seen so far, I mean, they're not, they haven't been flushed out or anything like that yet because it's too soon. But some of the things that he's mentioned, I mean, they've, they, they seem like they would help. And, uh, and everything that Justin Trudeau proposed in that 2015 election campaign, we were, we were saying, uh, no, these, these are bad. This is going to result in, in terribleness. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, see, I think the CBC wants to do the best they can to belittle and diminish, especially Pierre Polyev, because he's made no secret that he wants to burn it all down as far as he wants to make cuts in government and decrease the size of government. And he's also said he will defund CBC. So... Of course, they're not going to be fans of his, and that and that's fine. I understand that. I would I wouldn't be either if someone were threatening to take my my funding away. But at the same time, everything you said is true. I mean, it's he Pierre Polyev is he's managed to catch that lightning in a bottle. He understands working class people. He understands that when housing prices have doubled in seven years and gone up twenty five percent just in the last two years alone, that hey, you know what? People can't afford homes, and he he gets it. He gets that there's millennials still living with their parents who uh, can't even afford to rent a place nowadays. And he just under he understands that. Okay, here's how we fix it: we get government out of the way, which is something you and I have been saying for four years on this show: is get government the hell out of the way. So of course CBC's afraid because they're government. Yeah, and and I mean that's the thing, right? I mean every. The answer to everything is get get the government to get the hell out of the way. That's the answer for everything. It really is. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that's actually going to be a, a theme for this show because all of our topics kind of go along that same vein. Get government out of the way. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. So let's move on to the next side, uh, place where, well, we need to get government out of the way. Ukrainian refugees are now having... Uh, or facing, sorry, facing delays in getting to Canada. Now, I'm going to actually give credit to uh, the Liberal Immigration Minister, Sean Fraser, because he didn't want to create a new program to bring these refugees to Canada. He decided to use an existing program and bring them in on the visitor program. So, of course, this now has overwhelmed the Immigration Department as far as this visitor program is concerned. And... So now Ukrainians who are wanting to come here are having a hard time. Big surprise. Now, yeah, I mean, this this is kind of a hallmark of this government where everything that they try to do, they mess up. Oh, it's a Midas touch in reverse. Yeah. 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 So now they've got tens of thousands of Ukrainian refugees looking to come to Canada and can't get here because of government red tape, emails not being answered, etc. Reminds me a lot of the Afghan refugees who have been largely forgotten now, even though we promised we'd get 40,000 of them out last summer. And only about 11,000 of, of Afghan refugees of the 40,000 promised to, to get here have arrived. And they're going through the exact same thing. It's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. No, it is. And, and the thing is, is that 
I mean, this might be unpopular, but I'm not heartbroken by it. Well, honestly, I I thought about that, and I uh, I'd agree with you. I'm not heartbroken by it either. When you look at the Ukraine situation uh, specifically, uh, uh, most of the refugees from Ukraine don't want to come to Canada or the United States because most of them just want to go back home as soon as the war is over and rebuild. So they want to stay in, whether it's Poland or Romania, or if they've got family in Germany or whatever, they want to stay in Europe so that they're closer to get back to Ukraine. So, I mean, there's going to be some that want to come here because they'll have family here. Okay, fine. But honestly, if Canada sent a billion dollars to Poland to help Poland build you know, housing or, you know, some kind of temporary facilities and, you know, to, to house and feed and take care of refugees, Canada would be a hell of a lot further ahead because we're going to spend multiple billions just to bring people here and then figure out where to house them and how to feed them. Yeah, and then send them back. And then, right, and then to send them back. Yeah, good point. Yeah, so, I mean, we don't have enough housing in Canada for the people who live here. So, and that's, and that's you know, the biggest reason why the cost of our housing is so high um, is because there's a shortage of supply. So where are we going to house all these people when we don't even have enough housing for the people we've got? Yeah, that's right. And um, now we shared a about a 10 minute video on our Facebook page yesterday of a gentleman who was kind of laying out that argument too and saying that, look, you know what our, uh, you know, we don't have excess supply and our builders are already working at full capacity because a materials are in, in shorter supply. Staffing is in shorter supply. So there's really not a lot we can do other than, well, cut the immigration numbers. Speaking of unpopular. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, right? I mean, we can't just bring people here with nowhere to put them. Uh, I mean, that's that's insanity. Well, and it's cruel, honestly. I mean, it. Uh... It is, and it's. I mean, it's, and it's not just cruel to the people that we're bringing over here. It's cruel to everyone. I mean, there's you know people barely hanging on to the places they've got, and more pressure is not a good thing. No, that's right, and then I think also about. You know, there's more pressure on well, our healthcare system, for example. We are 700,000 surgeries behind because of COVID. And then you want to bring people over from another country who will need health checks. And well, and now their kids will get uh, get dental care, thanks to, to Jagmeet Singh. So, I mean, there's uh, a lot of strains potentially could get put on our safety net that is already pretty strained. Yep, no, absolutely. And I mean, I've got so much to say about about that, about our safety net being screened. I mean, I've talked, I talked about it on our last show about, about how our healthcare is rationed and how you're going to see our dental care and our pharma care being rationed as well when that gets uh, covered by our healthcare program. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, and then we have pressures, outside pressures, like uh, bringing in temporary refugees um, that will also qualify for that coverage. Um, it's just a recipe for disaster. Well, it really is. And then bear in mind, anybody who wants to come to Canada 
could just go to fly to New York State and cross at Roxham Road because, well, Roxham Road is still open and the RCMP are still playing bellhop, carrying people's luggage across that ditch. So uh, until we can close that up, maybe we should probably uh, try to curtail refugees or quote-unquote asylum seekers for a while. Yeah, considering you can't legally be a refugee from the United States. Exactly, yeah, it's a safe third country. So I've never understood how this has continued to happen when, under international law, this is not, they're not refugees. No, exactly, yeah, they're not, not at all. I mean, they, uh... I think a lot of them flew into the United States on tourist visas and then just hopped in a cab up to, uh, well, up to the border and then said, yeah, they just cross at Roxham Road with complete impunity. Yeah. I mean, why aren't the police standing there with guns drawn? Instead of their handout to, gra to grab your luggage. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. All right, Canada. Now we've got... Um, well, let's talk about the Ontario Liberals. That, that, that should be a pretty easy one to bat down. Now, <clears throat> Ontario Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca, I want to think that because his party only has seven seats, because they don't get a lot of attention in the media, that he's saying these really, really stupid things that he's saying right now just so that people will talk about him. And Mr. Del Duca, it's working because we're going to talk about what an idiot you are right now. So um, if elected... An Ontario Liberal government will implement a province-wide handgun ban in Ontario. Oh, that'll work. That'll work so well because what was the percentage of, of handguns used in, in the Toronto shootings that came from the United States being smuggled across the border, Lewis? Oh, I don't know, but I'm going to take a guess. A hundred percent. I would say that guess is absolutely right, and the former uh, Chief Firearms Officer of Ontario would back you up on that one. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. Legal gun owners are not the problem. Boy, have we said that a lot on this show. Yeah, we have. I mean, licensed firearm owners in this country are 300% less likely to commit a felony in this country than non-gun owners. So I think everyone should own a gun. That's actually a really good point, you know, because that, 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 that's true. The statistic you just quoted is absolutely true. So, um, yeah, maybe they should. I, I think they should. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, is that people who don't own guns don't know the laws. And the laws in Canada are pretty strict when it comes to handgun ownership. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I am licensed for a restricted weapon, which is what a fire, which is what a handgun is. It's restricted and it's called restricted because the restrictions are so crazy. I have never even bought one yet because I just don't see the point when I can't use it anywhere except at a gun range. I can't take it out to the bush and shoot at a target there. I can't even if... Even if I had a hundred acres of property, I legally could not use it on my own property. Yep, that's true. <clears throat> Excuse me. And because I, I do have a restricted weapon and I've got a, yeah, I have to, when I take it out, I have to go to the range. I have to go straight from my home to the range without stopping. 
and then I have to go straight home from the range without stopping. While in my vehicle, the, the handgun has to be locked up in its case, and the ammunition has to be separate from the, from the handgun. So Yeah, because if it's with the handgun, somehow it's going to automatically load without you doing it, and it's going to start shooting people. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and, and what would happen, uh, Tony, if you stopped for gas on the way to the gun range? with your handgun in the car, in a locked case, in the trunk. I have broken the law, and I'd be going to jail for a year and a half, I believe. Yeah. And what would happen if you get caught for speeding, and you are not on the shortest route possible from your house to the gun range? Oh, my God, they're going to throw the book at me, because I, I do have to take the absolute shortest route. That's right. What if you and your friend are both in the car both with your handguns locked in cases in the trunk on your way to the gun range. If I picked him up along the way to the gun range, I am in violation of the law because I dare not stop. That's right. And if you met at your house, again, that is breaking the law because he stopped on his way to the gun range. Exactly right. Yeah, it, 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 th those are the laws in Canada. And people who don't own handguns or who are not licensed to own handguns or who have never done uh, the firearm owner's course would have no idea that those are the laws. They think that our laws are like the United States and they think that if we ban handguns, then nobody will have them. And that's not true. It's not true in any country in the world. In Britain, there are no handguns legally allowed in the country. Even their cops don't carry handguns. And yet they have handgun violence. Yep, that's right. And see, I think there was a gentleman... Uh on with Roy Green, and this is a while back, and, and he was saying that one of the problems that the firearms industry has is that there's only, a, you know, a really small percentage of Canadians who own firearms, who use firearms on a regular basis, and the vast majority of Canadians, and often urban dwellers, don't know anything about guns, like you just said, and a lot of them, if you take them out to the range, and this is what this gentleman said, he actually took a bunch of uh, his media friends out to a gun range and, you know, showed them how to utilize a rifle properly, etc. And he said, all but one of them th said, I never realized how much fun this is. And yeah. it is. I mean, I'm a sports shooter. I'm not a hunter. And it is fun. That, that's, it's, a, that it, it's, it's a lot of fun. You do it safely. You do it by the law. And yeah, it's actually a, a good time, a good way to kill a couple hours. Oh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And anybody who's never shot a gun has no idea. It is fun. And we, um, it's, it's like when I, uh, when my wife and I got together, she was not comfortable with me having firearms in the house. So I took her out to shoot. And I mean, she was shooting a 22 rifle and not, you know, like my 300 wind mag or my 270 or my shotguns or anything like that. But she was shooting a, uh, my 22 rifle and uh, she put 90 rounds through that thing. Nice. 
and was like this and at the end she's like this is fun and she kept asking for another turn after my kids went and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> like she's uh because like i didn't get i didn't buy guns until uh until we've been you know married for quite a while i mean i i grew up with with guns and i grew up hunting and everything but um i gave up hunting a while back not for any other reason than i had no one to go hunting with and uh and then i started hunting again a couple of years back and uh, so that's when i started buying guns and uh and my wife was terrified to even touch one to even hold it and um and that's most non-gun owners yeah and uh and, and so when i took her out to shoot with the kids like the kids were plinking away and then, she, then it was her turn and then after the kids would go then she's like it's my turn again and uh and she was jumping right in there and and uh and she she had a great time she and she said guns aren't scary and i said no they're not they're dangerous but they're not scary yeah that's right so uh so now, Mr. Del Duca, um, on top of his handgun ban, has decided. Now, those who are listeners who live in Ontario are going to get a good laugh out of this one. But a, a Stephen Del Duca led Ontario government would plant another 800 million trees in Ontario. Has he never been north of Barrie, where the land of trees and rocks and water goes for another? I don't know, 1,500 miles to the west and north? <laughs> well, see, I, that's one policy I support. I support planting more trees. I mean, I, living here in BC where, there's, where logging is, is one of our main industries, um, the replanting or reforestation of cut blocks and, and logging sites has really fallen behind. I mean, it used to be like they would get replanted uh, immediately, and now it's years and years before a cut block gets replanted. And and it's uh, so I, I I support it. I mean, it's it's something that the government uh, should be enforcing, but isn't. Um, and and it's funny because there's a few things that that the government should be enforcing that isn't. And this is one of them. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't, the, the, the only thing that makes me, um, uh, laugh at this announcement is that Justin Trudeau, um, pledged to plant what a billion trees or something, two billion, two billion trees and never planted one. Yeah. And so it's a liberal hallmark to say that they're going to do something and then not. Well, that's true. And in this case, you may, actually you make a good point. Like logging is uh, is big in northwestern Ontario as well. And I guess I haven't been out there for about 20 years, so I can't speak to how it is now. When I used to drive out there quite regularly, I did see a lot of uh of second growth forests and or you know or at least replanted forests, but so they uh sure. they may have fallen behind since then, but they seem to be on top of it. But that that that's actually a good point, that uh, if they're going to clear-cut and leave it, then, yeah, maybe there does need to be some enforcement. You might be changing my mind, but I'm still not going to support Del Duca. 
I'm not going that far. Oh, no, no. I mean, <laughs> I think you, you'd have to, uh, you know, lose your brain to support <laughs> to yeah. support that party. Well, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and they, I'm, pre- I'm prepared for more wacky ideas to come from this man's mouth as uh, we get closer to the election in Ontario. The the writ should actually be dropping pretty much any time because the election date is supposed to be June 3rd, I believe. So, Well, I mean, just count on a lot more, you know, programs that pay for everything for, for people. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. I mean, that's, I that, mean- that is a liberal hallmark, so... Oh, it's a liberal and NDP hallmark, right? I mean, let's just propose programs that'll pay for everything uh, for people, and um, and they'll vote for us because people vote for free shit. Yeah, and that's uh, exactly right, yeah. So, um, all right, let's move on and talk a little bit about some cannabis tourism. Now, this comes right out of left field, Uh there is a group in Saskatoon, and right here in my backyard, that has decided now that cannabis is legal in Canada, maybe we should become more like Amsterdam's red light district here in Saskatoon, and start up some weed cafes, make some, get some coffee houses to start selling weed to promote this as a tourist destination. Interesting. Are they going to allow hookers and windows too? <laughs> oh, thanks for the for the memory. <laughs> I went to Amsterdam in my university days, and this was back in the mid '90s, and was absolutely shocked when I saw that uh, the hookers in the windows. Yeah, I, I, was, I, I went <laughs> after high school, and, and I remember going, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> yep. Yeah, I remember very distinctly. I mean, I went, I went to see the 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 coffee houses, obviously, and then there's this woman knocking on the glass and you know waving her finger at me like you know the come here signal. I'm like, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. It was the weirdest thing. I I was like, whoa, I am not in Canada anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, so yeah, hopefully they don't want to go that far down the road. But their suggestion is, well, since cannabis is legal here now, perhaps we should take advantage of that and start selling it in, well, in local cafes. And I thought, well, the area of the city where they want to do that is not very far from where the safe injection site is here in Saskatoon. So I just thought, well, that's got nothing but disaster written all over it. Yeah, I... You know, I live in BC, and... It's, we, we've had, you know, oh, the weed issue for years and years and years. Like it, it was, it's when I first moved back here from, from Alberta, I was shocked at how many people I saw smoking weed while driving. Um, I still see it today. I, the, the you drive through any neighborhood and you can smell weed. You, I mean, the last thing we need is more, more weed. I mean, I just, I, I supported legalizing it. I still support legalizing it. I just, I, I just can't, I, I'm one of those people where the smell of weed turns my stomach and I smell it everywhere. Yeah. Well, it's getting much more prevalent. I mean, uh, well, our regular listeners know that I've, 
I've got a drug dealer right next door, and now that it's warming up, I'm going to probably smell it every day when I come home or step out in the yard to, to go barbecue and whatnot. And it's, uh, they get some nasty stuff nowadays. So I, I'm not sure if I want to smell that when I'm going to stop for a beer at my local pub, for example. No, exactly. I mean, you you shouldn't. I mean, there's there's smoking laws now. You can't smoke inside. So I mean, I I would assume that would cover weed too. No, oh, I guess yeah. But but I mean, it's just. Uh, I mean, if you, if they want to make a red light district, I mean, that would require them being allowed to smoke weed, like maybe in outdoor cafes and stuff. But that smell would just waft. It would just drift everywhere. Yeah, absolutely, it would, and. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm guessing they're looking at this as some kind of revenue generator, or you know, just yeah, a way to bring more tourists into the city. But god damn, there's got to be a better way. Yeah, definitely. Like, I, I don't think that you know a good business plan is let's bring in as many you know drug users as possible. <laughs> Potheads of the world unite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I uh I guess even just seeing the uh the amount of petty crimes and break ins and whatnot that take place so that people can you know, buy meth and buy weed and whatnot, it's uh it's not it's not a not a recipe for success. Like I I know that well, my own personal situation, I mean the the private drug dealers are still very prominent in the weed markets. I mean, they have not gotten rid of the drug dealer down the street. And this year alone, even in the middle of winter, I've already this year had three different people trespass into my backyard to break into my shed to see if there's anything worth pawning. Wow. Yeah. And so uh, then I'm obviously I'm not the only one. No, no. I mean, it's, I bet every house on your, on your street, Likely, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if we want to exacerbate that problem, yeah, let's tell all the all the dope-smoking hippies of the world, come on out here and smoke some dope in our town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when, when smoking weed is legal everywhere in Canada, why would people travel to Saskatoon to smoke more weed? Yeah, well, and I guess the novelty for uh, being able to do it in the in the local pub I suppose, but... I don't think that that would ever happen, though, because there's a smoking ban. Like, you're not allowed to smoke at all, in basically in public, right? Unless right. you're on a, out, out on the street. But um, I don't think people are going to travel to Saskatoon just so they can smoke in an outdoor cafe. It's like, it's like they... That would be a, a, a lot of money spent to do something that really is no different than just smoking in your backyard like yeah exactly but i mean our uh our ndp mayor would be just dumb enough to think that was a good idea so. well yeah he's ndp <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> all right <His> middle name <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> all right so we'll move on from that i hope that never ever takes place by the way yeah. so Two months ago, uh, Justin Trudeau invoked the Emergencies Act, um, unnecessarily in my opinion, because he had a bunch of truck drivers in, in downtown Ottawa that he was afraid to go talk to. The small fringe minority 
of people who are on their way to Ottawa or who are uh, holding unacceptable uh, views. And as part of the Emergencies Act, um, with 60, within 60 days after the act has been revoked, there must be an inquiry into why it was invoked in the first place. Well, we're coming up on that 60 days now. And now we have an NDP liberal, don't call it a coalition government. So I'm wondering if there's going to be any meat to this inquiry. That's a question? Yeah. Okay, no, it's not a question, Canada, but I wanted you to get as frustrated as me. So. <laughs> I mean, no, of course not. It's going to be the shortest inquiry in, in Canadian government history. Yeah, and I, uh, I wonder if, uh, I guess because by law they have to do it, it will probably be an inquiry in name only, but... Yep, you're right. It's going to get shut down at every angle, no matter what the Conservatives and the Bloc, because the Bloc are actually ticked about this too. So uh, no matter what the Conservatives and Bloc have to say about it, uh, yeah, the federal, don't call it a coalition government, is just going to shut it down. Yeah, I mean, like this, it's, oh God. I mean, everything that was reported in the news about the truckers being violent, about trying to burn down an apartment building, about harassing people, threatening rape, all these things. We told you on this show, it was all BS. We did. We told you, we told you on this show, none of that was true. It was all made up. And because in this day and age, when there is a high-definition video camera in every single person's pocket, and people would rather film things than help, there's no video of any of that. Nothing. Well, and- if that actually, if any of that had actually happened, it would have been all over YouTube within minutes, and there was nothing. And so we told you it was BS. And the corporate media told you it was true. And we've seen all the reports now from the Ottawa police. None of it was true. Yep, we've been proven right again. And this time it was easy because you and I, instead of paying attention to what the CBCs and CTVs of the world said, you and I decided we would go into, into social media and we would look at YouTube and we looked at Rumble and... We watched Facebook videos and whatnot, and we saw people dancing and singing and hugging and high-fiving, and no violent behavior, no criminal behavior, and wow, we were actually right by watching, well, the truth. Yeah, we and I didn't see anyone espousing Nazi uh, propaganda. I never saw anyone you know, waving Nazi flags in support of Nazis. It w- the only Nazi flag I saw was someone had had written, had writing on the flag as well. And it was saying that the government was acting like a Nazi government, not that they supported Nazism. Yeah, good point. And, and the, I mean, that's, but but then you saw you know Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh and the corporate media of the country gaslighting Canadians into thinking that all these truckers were Nazis, and I will say quite successfully, because 
the number of people that I know to this day who believe that those truckers were Nazis and racists is a lot. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, it's really sad that that's, uh, and that's what's going to come up in this inquiry. And you're going to hear the Trudeau government justifying the invoking of the Emergencies Act because, and they're going to use the words illegal occupation. They're... They're going to use the words illegal as much as possible. They're going to be talked, going to say the words extremist. They're going to use the words threats of violence. And we know none of it's true. And I bet you the conservatives and Bloc will, will also point out that it's not true. But it doesn't matter because they have zero power with uh, Trudeau's new majority. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and the, and the other thing that people point to is how there was all these guns and everything that were that were confiscated at the Coots border crossing and and in Alberta there wasn't those those guns were all confiscated from a house in Coots Alberta they weren't at the blockade the the person who they belonged to didn't bring them to the blockade they were in the house they were there was never any danger of them being used against the police like it's such it it's it's so scary what the government and the media have been able to convince the people of Canada of i mean it's scary what they've been able to convince people of well that's true and i mean it was even pointed out at the time when there was the blockade at the Windsor uh, ambassador bridge that all those border blockades were actually dealt with using existing laws that did not, you know, need the Emergencies Act to assist them. So when... Well, no, no, I mean, don't forget those border blockades were were, uh, taken down before the Emergencies Act was invoked. Yeah, and I'm willing to bet that's going to get clouded by the the inquiry. Yeah, because they were taken down the night before the the, uh, Emergencies Act was invoked. So why was the Emergencies Act invoked, right? I mean, like, they didn't do anything except use the banking system uh, from the Emergencies Act, like the, the, the ability to freeze people's bank accounts. That was the only thing they used from the Emergencies Act. That was it. And it wasn't necessary. No, it really wasn't necessary. And they, uh, they gave themselves powers that they didn't need to give themselves. And... It's uh, what frightens me is that they've set the table to utilize it again when unnecessary. Yeah, and this inquiry is going to do absolutely nothing to deter that because, as I just said, they've got majority support from Liberal and NDP. So this inquiry, like you just said, is going to be an absolute farce. Yep, absolutely, no question. Yeah, so. uh, I think we'll probably wrap it there, Canada, because I don't think we've got time to get into the the next topic I want to talk about. So we'll we'll just hold on to that one. It's an evergreen kind of thing. If you have time, I have time. Oh, all right. In that case, let's let's tie into it. Uh, The federal government has decided to commission a study, so which is going to cost us a few million dollars, of course, as taxpayers, and they want to study who benefits the most from electric vehicle subsidies. Lewis, do you want to save the government some money? Uh, rich people. Duh. Ding, 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 ding. Because who else can afford an electric car? 
like, like that's a big duh. I mean, I mean, I I only know a handful of people that I would consider middle class who own Teslas, and they own the cheapest Tesla, and um, but everybody else I know all make you know pretty serious money. Yeah, well, and the cheapest Tesla on the market is forty-five grand, and Tesla actually had to bring that price down so that it would qualify for a subsidy. And of course, it's the cheapest, most basic Tesla you can get. It doesn't have very good range, so I mean, if you want to get a good EV, you're obviously going to be spending north of sixty grand. And yeah, so people who can afford to buy an electric vehicle likely don't need the subsidies no they don't i mean seriously i mean i'm not i'm not one that supports subsidies in the first place so i mean i don't think there should be subsidies for anybody here here um but like the people that are getting the subsidies don't need them i mean it's like the Tesla, I think the cutoff is 45000 right? And the Tesla Model 3 starts at forty four nine or something like that. Exactly, yeah. So it's like, it's like it, only like that bare bones stripped down Tesla actually qualifies. And nobody buys bare bones stripped down Teslas. Right. <laughs> so it's like. I mean, the the, the uh, Nissan Leaf qualifies, and I think the you know the Chevy Bolt qualifies, but I mean, like, they're not; those aren't cars that most people buy. And I mean, because if you're going to spend forty five grand on a car, you're not buying a, a a little compact, right? Like you're buying a a, a Hyundai Santa Fe, like a, a, a crossover, or you're buying, you know, like. Um, something that's roomier and bigger that can carry your kids because you know it's people in their 30s and 40s that can afford a $45,000 car not people in their 20s so you need room for your kids yeah that's right and of course because we like to drill down and give you the whole story on Canadian Common Sense who's really benefiting from the subsidies. And you heard me mention this on the show about a year ago, that you and I, the taxpayer, in last year's budget, gave $500 million to the Ford Motor Company to retool their Oshawa plant to build electric vehicles. I think Ford's one of the largest corporations in the world, aren't they? Uh, they are, yes. They, and they, they, they turn a profit as far as, as far as you know, right? That I don't know. Hmm. Um... I mean, it's kind of touch and go, I think, with some of these car companies, especially right now. But the the uh, but the thing is, is that they don't need handouts. They they did that because they wanted to prevent Ford from moving their production facility back to the U.S. Oh, well, I get that, but uh, that's not up to you and I to make that to to throw money at them to do that. It's up to our government to create an environment where Ford would want to stay all on their own. Yeah. And that's not through, you know, ever increasing minimum wage laws and and uh, ever increasing, you know, red tape and taxes and, and all of that. I mean, if you want to know why a company wants to leave the country, ask them, why do you want to leave the country? And their answer is going to be because of 
the bureaucracy and the red tape and the and the uh, all the the laws that you know put give the employees more rights than the people who actually own the company. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's pretty simple. Get the hell out of the way. Well, exactly right. Get the hell out of the way. And um, this, also our government has decided they needed to give $500 million of our tax money to a battery plant in Windsor to help it get started. And in the latest budget is pledging a minimum of $2 billion to uh, develop the infrastructure, the, you know, the mining and the, the extraction for the resources necessary to build those batteries so we can become a battery superpower. And again, they're at the wrong end of the equation. Like uh, Thomas Sowell, the great, brilliant economist, uh, had once said that the left so often starts the story in the middle. And that's what they're doing here. They're starting the story in the middle saying, oh, you need help? Let's give you some money. Rather than start at the beginning and say what I just said, let's create the environment that you'll want to come here as a business and create this industry on your own through, well, less regulations, lower taxes, well-trained workforce, educated workforce. And we have some of these factors already, but the red tape in this country is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and when we say less um, regulations, it doesn't mean, you know, strip away workers' rights or strip away uh, safety measures and stuff like that. It just means getting the government out of the way of of business doing business, right? Exactly. Um, I own a business, and I can tell you the red tape and the bureaucracy and the and the the BS that the government forces on business owners is can be financially crippling to most small businesses. It can be um, uh, it, it's it's it, it's like they do everything they can to keep you from succeeding. Well, Justin Trudeau did call you out directly as a tax cheat, Mister Small Businessman. Yes, in the 2015 election campaign. Yes, so... Uh, that, that the small businesses were nothing more than a place for wealthy people to hide their money. Yeah, exactly. And now, you'd have to go back a couple of years to have heard I, me mention Lord Durham. Um, Lord Durham, who was uh, the governor of the colonies of Canada back in 1837, so what, kind of what would be our governor general now, Lord Durham came to Canada in 1837 to put down the Upper Canada and Lower Canada rebellions. And when he went back to England in 1838, he penned a letter stating that Canada is the most over-governed territory I've ever seen. And, well, Canada, 164 years later, that has not changed. In fact, it's gotten worse. It has. And that's the biggest problem with why, well, why why we're in the state that we're in. I mean, governments, and we've had liberal governments more than, much more than conservative governments throughout our history, and they That's continue. Part of the problem. It is part of the problem because when there is a problem, they throw money at it, and that's not the answer. If if COVID has taught us anything, throwing money at the problem only makes it worse, and you're seeing that right now with the. Uh, the fact you can't find staff. Yep. 
I mean, the government has trained people over the past two years to not work. Exactly. And just expect money from the government. And you can't find employees. You can't find people to work right now. And and like I said in my rant earlier, uh, just a couple days ago, I said, you know, the math doesn't add up. Every single business I know has fewer employees than we did in 2019, and we can't find new ones, but yet our unemployment rate is the lowest it's been in decades. That It doesn't add up. Speaking of gaslighting. Yeah, speaking of gaslighting, it, like that doesn't add up. Where the hell did all those people go? Oh, exactly right. I mean, uh, if government had... I mean, I... It's hard. It's you almost want to give them a pass because okay, we didn't know how to handle this this COVID situation, but they ruined it. They absolutely blew it. Yeah, and and honestly, as soon as we knew that COVID was not killing thirty percent of the population like we thought it might, they should have discontinued the program. Yeah, instead of adding more. Yeah instead of adding more or drawing it out for two years. Like, it should have been ended. Maybe not for everybody, because, you know, there are people who are at high risk. Well, understood, but you and I said that right from the very start of the pandemic. Protect those who need it and let everybody else keep working. Yep. And we never yep. we never wavered from that. No, we never did. We, we've been saying that from day one. We've also been saying since day one that this was a bad idea that was going to backfire. Yeah, and now it totally has. So It totally has. I mean, Canada's in a really bad spot right now. Like, I mean, if this was like an Okanagan-only thing or a BC-only thing, I, would, I could chalk it up to, yeah, I get it. It's so expensive to live here that everybody, all the young people have all moved to Alberta because they can't afford to live in BC. But... That's not the case. It's Canada-wide. It's North America-wide. When you pay people to stay home and not work for two years, what do you think is going to happen after two years? They're going to end up permanently on the government dole. Well, exactly, and that's why Canada is projected to have the lowest economic growth of all OECD countries. Yeah, and why the federal government is on its way to passing a universal basic income. Yeah, just to make things worse. Speaking of throwing more money at a problem. Yeah, it's like if 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 the last two years have proven anything is that a universal basic income is going to have massive detrimental effects on the economy and on Canada as a whole. And we're seeing that right now. And if they pass the universal basic income, this this country will be unlivable. Yep. Absolutely right. So, um, well, we're going to wrap it up right there, Canada, because that's the theme for the show. Government just needs to get out of the way, and then we can actually, we we can make it. And we like to end things on sour notes. We do, and this is a definite sour note. Get government out of the way. (laughs) All right, well, thanks for joining us, Canada, and we will talk to you next week. And until then, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in B.C. Good night. Good night, Canada.
and Tony.